There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Welcome back to Not Another Mummy Podcast with me, Alison Perry. Grief is something that affects so many of us, yet it's not something that we talk about all that much. It's still seen as a bit of a taboo. And my guest today, Mark Lemon, is on a mission to change that. Mark is a dad of two and tragically, when he was 12, his dad was murdered. He tells me how this affected him as a teenage boy, but also how it affects how he parents his own children today. A few years ago, after a long time of bottling up his experience, Mark started to write about his grief and he now hosts a podcast called Grief Is My Superpower, where he talks to other people about their own experience of grief and how it shaped them as a person. He's also a bereavement ambassador for charity Winston's Wish, and he's written a book, The Magical Wood, which introduces and explores the idea of loss to children. Basically, what Mark has done is turn a tragic, life-changing experience into something positive. He's helping so many people, young and old, deal with their grief. And I'm so grateful that Mark was happy to share his story with me during our chat. A huge warm welcome to Mark Lemon. Mark, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. And I've just actually checked the pronunciation of your name because I was so scared I was going to say Mark Lemon. Um, <laughs> for some reason, I've just got this like hang up about mispronouncing people's names, but it's definitely Mark Lemon, isn't it? Yeah. Do you know what? When you say that, it reminds me of, do you remember Mark Lamar? Yes, um, yeah. maybe that's where it's coming from. I think it might be. The surname yeah. Lemon is quite... Lemon, there Le Mans. you go. Okay. <laughs> Your surname. It's, it's my French alter ego. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, where does the surname Lemon come from? It's quite unusual, isn't it? Oh, gosh. Do you know what? I actually don't know. As far as I'm aware, it's English origins, because as, as far as I've managed to trace back, we're all uh, English. Um yeah. But yeah, I don't know. One day I'll actually go through that properly. Maybe when Otis is older, we'll both do that together. Yes. Yeah, that'd yeah. be nice. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk to you about grief. And it's something that you talk about a lot on your podcast, um, in the media. And it still feels like it's such a taboo subject. It's like we're really scared of talking about it. And we don't know what to say to someone who's lost somebody that is near to them. 
Why do you think that it's still an area that we, so many of us, struggle to talk about? Hmm. I think it, do you know, I think it's a, a generational thing, uh, you know, thinking about it lately. It's sort of, it's something that maybe our parents didn't talk to us about, or if, you know, if somebody died, then, you know, you weren't maybe invited to the funeral. And so it was something that was always a bit shielded. You know, I know from my own experience, I guess, up until the point of my dad dying, sort of it, I, I wasn't really fully aware, you know, of it. And so, yeah, I guess in a way it, it could be a, a generational thing, um, which might be a great time for us all to, to start changing that. But yeah, it just, yeah. That's such a good point, though. I mean, yeah, just thinking back to my own childhood when my grandparents died, I wasn't you know, invited to the funerals of all of them. And it definitely was this almost like hushed up thing. And you weren't, it wasn't an open conversation. It was definitely, oh, you know, we don't, we don't, we don't talk about that. So yeah, you're, you're so right. And it does feel like things are changing a little bit, but it still feels like something that so many of us feel awkward about, doesn't it? It does. And you know, it's it's a really difficult subject, and it's it's one that I think sometimes if people sort of do talk about it, and they're like, oh gosh, it's a bit like a disease. You'll catch it, you know, and yeah. someone will die. But you know, however uncomfortable it is, we're all going to be touched by it at some point in our lives, whether we're younger or older or you know, uh, whatever age we are. Um, so I think it's it feels like there is that sort of <laughs> using the word awakening but uh, you know in a strange way i think people are sort of becoming more aware of of the conversation and 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 just feeling more confident to to sit in that conversation that feeling and i guess it's it's probably i mean you tell me you're much more of an expert than i am but it's probably all linked into our mental health and that is something that we're all talking about a lot more these days too isn't it yeah, no, I think as well over the last couple of years with the whole conversation around mental health and opening up, um, you know, I guess essentially feelings, you know, and grief hasn't been a predominant conversation in and around the mental health, I guess, movement over the last couple of years. But, you know, I always say that, that um, you know, if not treated at an early age, a child can can suffer from mental health later on in life and, and, and so can adults. So... I think that yeah, that's why I wanted to set up my own sort of conversation and podcast to to continue the conversation. Yeah, yeah. So, are you happy to tell me about your dad's death and and what happened and what what kind of led you to to be having this conversation? Yeah. So, when I was twelve years old, um, my dad uh, was murdered. Um, however, many. Uh, However many times I say it, it's never easy, obviously. But um, yeah, 12th of May, I was sat in my class and it was about three o'clock. And um, one of the teachers came in and I saw them whisper to the other teacher and, and sort of come over to me and said, oh, your mum wants you to go home. Um, and I thought it was really weird because the bell rang at quarter past three. So um, so I went to get my bike and then realised when I got to the bike sheds that my friend had actually locked his bike up to mine. So I had to run back to the classroom. He came back with me and then it was really weird. It was a bit like a, a horse out of the, the gate. I just felt like gone, you know, just cycle home. But I I didn't really feel anything. It was really weird. I sort of remember pinching myself and something felt wrong. Um, and so I got home to our close and I... 
I um, I sort of saw a couple of police cars in the close where we lived. And as I got closer to the house, I could hear like my sister crying in the front living room and look through the window into the living room and I could see police officers and strange people. And then, yeah, I went into the kitchen and my uh, aunt said, oh, your mum wants to see you upstairs. And I remember just going into the, um, into the spare room. And um, yeah, my mum just sort of told me. And um, God, it's funny actually, whenever I talk about this, this is always the bit that gets me because it takes you back to that moment. Um, and um, yeah, and she just said, uh, dad died this morning. And I remember sort of holding her and uh, for about a minute and I, and I just left. I had to get out of the house. It was too strange, too surreal. And I just jumped on my bike and went straight back to school and um, so immediately saw one of my friends whose dad died a, uh, a couple of years previously from, I think it was cancer. And I just dropped to my knees. And at that point, everyone was coming out of school. So it was, you know, it was quite, I was quite visual, I guess, to everybody. And um and actually, while I was going up to the, the gates, I saw a couple of my friends as I was cycling up and they were like, you're right, you're, you're white, you know, like, and I didn't even say anything. And then the teachers came and got me and took me into um, school. And uh, yeah, and then that evening, because I, I went back to a friend's house after school and, and I went back home in the evening. And, and I remember my uncle sort of sitting me down and just sort of telling me, um, not, not in detail, but I guess how my dad had died and um yeah from that moment my life sort of changed forever and um I mean how did you get through that as were you 12 did you say when it mm, happened yeah you know what, what kind of support network did you have and you know how did you even begin to process that kind of thing, thing happening to you gosh you know I mean back then it was 1992 and there weren't really any children's bereavement charities like there are now you know the there's uh, children are really fortunate now to have so many fantastic charities, but there was crews who essentially were just a generic sort of counselling, um, and they wanted me to be counselled straight away, but it was just too soon. And so I think through my sort of the first, um, because that was in sort of it was in May, so I was sort of nearing the end of my, um, I think it was the first year in secondary school, so. Um, you know, I was supported and they tried to give me counselling and even in school, but it was just a bit too soon, really. It just, you know, my, I mean, my mum my was great, um, but essentially my sisters kind of got on with their own grief and and, and got on with it in, in their own way, um, which, you know, I always <laughs> kind of say, and I talk about it all the time, how, how, you know, the best way is to just share your emotions and your grief, you know, at, at, at a time that's right for you. And, and so... I guess at, at times I felt isolated um, and which probably led to why I didn't talk about it for many years. So did, did you not talk about it with family members and friends? Was it something that you bottled up? Yeah, I think I did bottle it up and it kind of turned into, you know, anger, um, frustration. Because um, when you think about it, I was a 12 year old boy becoming, you know, teenage years, just started secondary school. Um, and so... You know, I, I always say that kind of school or secondary school for me was in a sense of write-off um, because I, I'd lost my role model and someone that I could go to for advice and, and, and you know, I didn't really see sort of much, much sense in, in, in a lot of things. Um, 
So it, it took me a few years to kind of, I guess, get to a point where I felt comfortable with sharing um, how I felt. And how long do you think it affected you for? I mean, you said that, you know, you were bottling up and, you know, going into your teenage years. Do you think that it, in terms of the the kind of person that you were growing into, how much of an impact do you think it had on that? Yeah, I think it had a huge effect on, on the person I was growing into. And I think, um, I don't know, I think I've always been very fortunate. I felt like I've been pushed and driven, um, <laughs> whatever it might have been, whether it's, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not hugely spiritual, but I believe in a higher power in a sense, and and so I I could have gone down a totally different path. And so when I left school, I I sort of you know I got part time jobs and things like that, and and then eventually I just kind of I didn't have that feeling of um, sort of vengeance towards the man that I thought I might have done, um, and so. I think in a way I'd I'd allowed myself to kind of let go of that emotion which thankfully helped me in the long run. Yeah. What what happened to him in the end? Was he was he charged and Yeah. and what happened? So he was charged but he only got 4 years. Right. Um and I found out that he had uh, that he was out of prison through a documentary that the other family, his family, decided to do or run. And my my mum didn't want to be a part of it, but it was on Channel Four. And Why? yeah, and I was upstairs and I watched it with my friends and I knew it was going to be on, but I didn't know that he was out of prison. And then at the end, he's like, "Oh, what you can't." I said, "He's now out of prison now." And I was like, "Okay, right." Um, I went downstairs and I obviously. I was cross. I was like, Mum, why didn't you tell me? Um, but she, you know, <laughs> there was obvious reasons why she didn't. Um, and so she was trying to protect me. And so, yeah, he only had four years. And then from where he went from there, I don't know. Um, but I do know that I think it was around 2006, maybe. I realised or I found out that he was working in a an Asda in, in, in Cambridge, where obviously I'm from. And um, and I called the police. I said, do you do realise that you've got a murderer working in one of your <laughs> supermarkets? And they were like, well, sir, you know, I do appreciate your feelings and da-da-da-da, but, you know, he, in our eyes, he served his time and, you know, it's, what, 12 years gone and all this stuff. I was like, okay, you know, fine. But, um, so, yeah, he didn't get, didn't get long... And just to explain, he, um, he, it was all to do with the, a lady who was a, a family friend of yours, wasn't it? it he, he was the husband. Yeah. So he was, um, they were sort of at the end of their marriage and she was a, a cleaner um, of, our, of ours and she was also became a, a friend of the family and, and she was going through this very sort of turbulent end of the relationship. And, um, and he would, he would uh, check her mail to see if she was having affairs and things like that. And so in the end, she got her post directed to our house. And so my dad or my mum would take the post to her if, at a house that she was cleaning at um, or give it to her when she came to ours. And so, yeah, he, he followed my dad or followed her to a house that she was cleaning at one day. And then my dad was went there to give her the post. And they were in, a, in the kitchen having a coffee and he went he saw my dad's car outside and you know thought he'd put two and two together went to a local um shop and stole a boning knife 
and then they went back. He went back to the house and they had like an altercation or a fight. And my dad, by all accounts, got the better of him, went to get his briefcase and the man pulled out this knife and, and stabbed him. And, um, and then he turned around and stabbed him another 15 times. Um, and then turned on his wife, stabbed her twice and she managed to, to get out of the house. Um, but um, so yeah, it was like a jealous rage. Um, but I think he, he only got the short amount of time in prison because he, he pleaded. I don't know what they plead, but it was something insanity or I don't, whatever these things are. Yeah. And, you know, when you're asked to talk about this, do you think that retelling the story helps you in some way? Or do you think that it's unhelpful because actually what I'm asking you to do is relive a trauma? Yeah, it's it's helpful. I think, uh, <laughs> and I and I. I've been interviewed before on my own podcast about it and like, you know, like just now by speaking about it and taking me back to that moment, you know, it's amazing how the trauma does resurface and you could be going through your life and you're, you know, 41 years old and, you know, and you, you think, oh, I'm fine. And that is the thing with grief. (laughs) You kind of catch, can catch you off guard so easily. And I think for many years, and I think that's why leading up to recently sort of talking about it and being so open about it was because I felt like, oh, that happened ages ago. It can't affect me anymore. Yeah. You, you know, and it kind of made me realize that there are so many people out there that are still struggling, um, that went through a childhood trauma, who, you know, have experienced loss, but yet they feel because of the whole stigma based in this country that well you know if it's more than two years then you should be moving on now in your life no it doesn't work like that it's something that you struggle with for the rest of your life you know and I think you know that's the other hurdle that we need to get over and that sort of stigma of unfortunately you know when somebody does go through something like that um, at whatever age it's going to affect you and you're always going to be reminded of certain things, whether it's birthdays, Christmas, you know, key dates across the year. So what are the tools that you have learned over the years to cope with those those really hard moments? Mm, yeah, I think you... It's funny because it, it changes so often, you know, say, for instance, this year. Um, I mean, my wife's brilliant with sort of recognising when I'm my mood has changed or if an anniversary is coming up you know specifically on the 12th of May normally is when I I guess I go a bit in on myself and and all that stuff but this year we we um the kids I mean it was really special because I got the kids involved and because Thea's five and Otis is nine and and um so I got we got them to write a little note on and then tied it to a balloon and um and we let them go you know and we went up to this hill and actually we went to we stood next to the tree that inspired me to write the magical wood um and everything about that moment was incredible because it kind of it was a new thing it was introducing it to the kids and sort of bringing that conversation and making that day relevant with my my children and my wife and so to see those balloons, because it was funny, <laughs> they sort they started to raise off the ground, and at first that the paper was too heavy, so we had to like tear bits off, and one of them got caught in the tree. I think it was Thea's one got caught in the tree, and then Otis's one slowly started to rise off the ground, and just as his got to a certain height, Thea's one released from the tree, and they both went off up into Aww. the sky, and it was 
and it was such an incredible moment to yeah. you know to and powerful moment for me personally and it kind of signified quite a lot actually um and it was it was a bit of letting go but it was also to always to never forget i guess yeah. you know his memory his legacy his life him um and and how i sort of see my dad through my my children's eyes in a way yeah so, so is that the first time that you'd chatted to your kids about it or is it something they've always kind of been aware of yeah i mean the, over the last couple of years i think because mainly you know so it kind of kicked kicked off over the few years ago really when i wrote an article for the guardian and that that was that seemed to be the starting point with everything over the last few years with my grief um because for a very long time i wouldn't talk about it and i hadn't pub i hadn't publicly shared it even with my friends like close friends um and so i wrote this um two-page spread for the guardian and this, this guy came to take photos of us as a family and the kids were obviously going you know what's this for why are we taking these photos da, da, da. and i was like well you know, where dad, dad's written an article about grandpa. And so from that point, it was it was quite good in a way because it sort of opened up the conversation uh, just to at least keep him relevant um, and made me feel a bit more comfortable with, um, you know, just just as, as using examples of if I just can't sleep at night, I'm like, oh, grandpa used to tell me this or or get me to do this or go on your, lie on your front or things like that. And so it kind of little little things to keep him relevant in our conversations and so yeah and what with writing the magical word and and um and just sort of involving the kids and and yeah and I think that's what a lot of people I think that's that's the best way that we can do it really is to slowly bring in the conversation around death around grief um and so yeah this year this year was a really sort of a lovely way of of marking that moment and we also like in the morning made pancakes um and <laughs> Otis was like god there's an empty chair next to you dad maybe that could be grandpa's chair Aww, you know and that's so nice and i was like yeah maybe it could that's yeah it's yeah. really you know many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out my solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Yeah. Um, so tell me, tell me a bit more about the the books that you've written, because you know, obviously, talking to kids about death can be can be hard, and it's also something that some kids can get a little bit obsessed with. Not not always in a worrying way, but just in a curious, like asking loads of questions, because it's quite it's quite a weird concept for them to get their head around, isn't it? 
Yeah, no, it is. And I, I mean, it was difficult. I, when I started to, when I came up with the idea of writing a book um, about bereavement for children, um, I mean, it felt like a natural next step. But it was, it was difficult, you know, when you get thinking about a storyline that can actually sit well with children and, you know, like you say, it won't scare them. And I did a bit of research with other books out there that have been written to do with this subject. And, you know, I, like anything, you need to kind of look at the do's and the don'ts and things that have worked and things that haven't. And also I went to Winston's Wish, the children's bereavement charity that I, I guess, essentially wrote the book for, but I'm also an ambassador for. And, um, and I, you know, and I picked their, pick their brains in terms of, you know, terminology, like saying death instead of passed away. You know, because at least children have a slightly better idea about what's happened if passed away or goes to sleep or in the stars. It can be a little bit confusing. So, so yeah, that's when I kind of thought about the magical wood and the concept and, and how to um, bring in an idea that would hopefully sit well with a child who's suffering from bereavement, but also for children that haven't experienced it yet. Um, and And... Um, you know bringing in a concept that also reminds you that they're always with you um, when they go when they're gone Um, they're always around us that you know they're in the breeze through the leaves you know things like that sort of words in the book that that I tried to uh, include that would um, it's quite a visual and it's also hopefully something that you know sort of helps children as well yeah I guess it offers some comfort doesn't it to yeah think, think of them in that way yeah um, and how do you think that your dad's death has affected the kind of dad that you are to your kids oh god yeah that's funny I always ask this one do you <laughs> well you know it's when someone dies it, it, it alters your life forever and also yeah. your mindset about things so it's such a huge question but do you know what when I had Otis and I was in that hospital at, what was it, 20 to 5 in the morning. And I remember going into, uh, Simone had to go into sort of the theatre. And I remember coming out of that all gowned up, walking into the room with Simone's mum and her sister. And I just burst into tears. But that, it was more than the fact that I was now a dad. It was more that I could now channel all the love, all the emotion that I had for my dad into um my child mm. and and I think just to not take things for granted you know just enjoy the time that we have with our children at the age that they are because I know full full well and more so for my sister I think about her a lot because she was eight years old when my dad died how you just never know and so when you're <laughs> however it is pretty hard but when you're shouting at your kids because they're shouting at each other or because they've just took that 100 snack from the cupboard um you know it, i just try and switch out of that and just remind myself that they're not going to be doing this yeah forever and yeah oh that's so hard though isn't it because all that stuff, all that day-to-day, you know, trying to teach your kids right from wrong. and Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can't, no, don't you get me wrong. You can't not, no. you know, have a go at them for doing <laughs> something dangerous, for example, just because you think, oh, well, they might not be here tomorrow or I might not be here tomorrow. Oh, no, no, no. I, I, don't get me wrong. There is that fine line. And, I, you know, I try to, uh, yeah, 
I have to be reminded often to, um, you know, maybe not be so firm. But I think it's just trying to be conscious in my own head of, um, you know, just enjoying these special moments and um, and just just enjoy being a parent, enjoy being a dad, because my dad only had it for 12 years. And yeah. and so I think if anything, it's done that. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I just it's such a special thing being being a dad and and you know I think like a lot of parents out there you could sort of you see them when they're asleep and you're like wow how (laughs) special is it that we've created these human beings and we've got these yeah yeah it's crazy and actually yeah you're right being being able to you know really focus on that rather than the kind of moments where you want to tear your hair out with frustration (laughs) that's that's a good thing right yeah oh yeah yeah um, now, I heard you talk about how the coronavirus pandemic has made lots of grief kind of bubble to the surface. Um, has it been quite a tricky time for you, do you think? Is it, is it because it's given you almost like time and space to be thinking about things and dwelling on things? Yeah, I think it is that. And, and it's also the fact of, um, you know, how the coronavirus has taken hold of so many people mm-hmm. and how how um i think if anything it kind of resurfaced a lot of my own sort of mental health problems through grief initially um because i was just you know i was like gosh what what if i get the the coronavirus what if i died what if i left simone just her with the kids what if you know what if 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 do you do you have health anxieties based around that anyway well i did i think i did and i think because I was listening to the news like anybody, I was, you know, had the radio on, the news would come on, you'd be listening to it. And then one day I, I looked at Simone, I was like, we're just turning this off now. Yeah. I'm not listening to the news. We turned the radio off when we were in the car with the kids. Um, I don't watch the news on the TV. Um, I, if there's anything that I really need to know, <laughs> really need to know about, I'm in lots of WhatsApp chats that will be uh, more than happy to let me know. Um, but, um, yeah, so I kind of quickly realised that it wasn't doing myself any favours. But yeah, it kind of, in a way, it sort of pushed me to start recording again with the podcast and, and, and talking to others about grief and, and the anxiety that it's, it's sort of uh, creating in a lot of other people. Because there are a lot of bereaved people out there. People, you know, I interviewed someone this week who, whose granddad died. And, you know, the, I think it was only the mum that maybe could go to the funeral um and it's just really sad how a lot of people you know whereas before so many people could go and pay their respects but now it's just a totally um a a different way of um doing this so yeah i mean hard enough anyway but even more hard when you feel like you can't properly say goodbye to a loved one um and also i've heard quite a few people chat recently about how they feel that they've experienced some kind of grief during lockdown. What's your view on that as someone who's experienced true grief? <laughs> See, I was contacted by someone that I, I, I'm friends with on Instagram uh, and she has experienced grief herself. And she was like, Mark, what do you think of this? You know, there's so many people out there saying, oh, I'm grieving for, you know, the life that once was and all of this. And I was like, well, yeah, I get you. And then after a bit of a thought about it, I was like, okay, I do understand where these people are coming from in the sense of if you've never experienced grief in the way that, say, you know, if somebody dies, then 
it is a form of grief and it can be that feeling of grief um so i i sort of took a, a slight u-turn on that um but at the same time you won't necessarily know what that feels like until somebody that you love actually does die and yeah. is no longer here on this earth um and it's never coming back i mean i guess the it's point never is, coming is back. that our way of life to a certain extent is coming back and will be coming back yeah so it's not a gone forever scenario is it no it's not and i think that's the other thing it's just reminding people that you are still here and do you know what? This is something I tell myself, I try to tell myself every day is that you woke up this morning, you know, you came downstairs and you had a coffee while everyone's asleep upstairs and enjoyed that quiet time, that moment. And there are so many people out there that won't be able to do that again. So, yeah, you can you can grieve for, for the world that you once knew, but why not try and embrace the positive, you know, from everything that's been happening? Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. that's a really wise way of looking at it. Um, now, you mentioned before that you have a, a bit of a role as a bereavement ambassador with Winston's Wish. What does that involve and how did you get involved with that? Yeah, so I, it was a few years ago and, and I was looking for a charity to get involved in. Um, and um, somebody that I was working with found um, Winston's Wish and they're based in Cheltenham, so it's not too far from me in Bristol. And... You know, I had a look on their website and did some investigating and it was just perfect. So I started to raise proceeds through book sales and um, and I went over there and I gave them a check and, you know, and then it kind of continued. The relationship continued and uh, raised a bit more money for them. And then it was, I think it was last year that they actually contacted me and said, well, we would love for you to be an official ambassador. Um and you know, I was I was proud to 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 do that and 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 take on that role. So I get I guess essentially is kind of helping them spread the word, um, which is you know what I've been doing with the podcast because um, it's in support of Winston's wish, um, and yeah. So if I'm contacted by anyone who who is bereaved or they're struggling to find any resources, then you know Winston's wish would be my my first sort of point of contact. Um, so yeah it's a fantastic charity yeah. um yeah and through doing your podcast i mean one of the things that one of the things one of the many things that i love about doing my podcast is that the conversations i have with people quite often i will leave that conversation and a few things will stick in my head and it will really i guess change my outlook on something or make me really think about something differently is there anything that you've learned through all the conversations that you've had with people about their grief? Anything that you have taken away from those conversations that's helped you? Yeah, I, do you know what? If anything, it's kind of made me realise that everybody grieves in their own way and in their own time, and that's okay. Um, and there's no one set formula to grieving someone it, it can happen at any point throughout your life and in many different ways. Um, but I think, if anything, it's kind of reassured me that um, that having a conversation like that is is needed. And so from from speaking to so many different people, it's kind of really opened my eyes to, to how grief has many forms, um, which in a strange way is kind of reassuring. Um, 
and so that's that's because at first I was like, well, you know, someone dies, that's how you feel. Yeah. <laughs> um, and also, you also you only got your experience to go on, so yeah, you you it's it's fair to assume that other everyone else experiences it in a similar way. Exactly. Yeah. And um and it's just been amazing, like like you know, to to just feel privileged enough to to someone to open up to me and tell me their story and and share it with you know with so many other people and yeah it's a, it's a really special thing do you find that you get people contacting you to tell you their stories yeah i do i do and um you know again that's uh, it's a really powerful thing when you you know like through social media through instagram you know dms um uh yeah god you know some people they they they've been through a lot and it's i don't and i have to i speak to simone about it i say look i've got this i've received this message um what do you think i should do and she was like she's always great at putting it back on me i was like what do you think what do you think what do you think you should do how do, how do you feel about that message and I was, well that's how you should reply and obviously if there's any professional help then i forward them on to the relevant people that must be quite a, a big responsibility though that and also just quite a big emotional weight that people are coming to you and sharing their own you know bereavement stories yeah it's it is incredible and i i i'm really in a way i'm really fortunate and i think that's why um yeah it just spurs me on to keep talking about it really um i know I had uh, <laughs> there was an article in the Daily Mail on on the weekend, and there were. Do you know what? what the, the, there's, the thing is, don't read the comments. <laughs> don't read the Daily Mail. <laughs> don't read the Daily Mail. Don't read the Daily Mail. Firstly, and and I had you know this was this was all done through a third party, so you know, um, so, so the article would come out, and so you know, oh, this guy, his dad died age, years ago. Why is he talking about this? Why is he? Why is he? You know, sending. A, <sighs> do you know what I mean? Stuff like that. Yeah. And I was like, okay, right. Like, well, <laughs> so everything we've already talked about of, you know, people experience grief at different points in their life and everybody is going to experience grief. Um, I was like, well, no, this is, if anything, these, these comments spur you to keep going. What advice would you have? I mean, I know that we've, we've talked about how there's no kind of one solution for everybody, but... If someone's listening and they have lost somebody and they're finding it really hard to deal with, where can they go? What can they do? What's the kind of, you know, first port of call? I think firstly, you have to remind yourself to be kind to yourself. And when I say that, it means that how you're feeling right at this point in time is okay. And, you know, if you want to cry, that's fine. If you feel like you're smiling and you feel guilty about it, don't. Um... If you are in a space where you feel like you can talk to somebody, um, speak to a friend or a family member or someone that you trust, more importantly. And then if you're really struggling, there are lots of fantastic charities out there, like I've said about, you know, there's Winston's Wish, Cruise, Grief Encounter, um, and and lots of great mental health charities as well. Um, so if you're struggling, then don't be afraid to confide in someone about it. But also remember that it's okay to feel this way. Um, it will come, it will go, but you will, throughout time, you will recognize that these feelings and emotions are natural. Um, and yeah, it's shit, but you will get through this. 
and 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 I think that's the biggest message really yeah so where can people find you online if they want to follow you and kind of you know hear more from you so yeah you can follow me on Instagram at Mark Lemon official um, I am on Twitter as well as uh, lemon drop books um, you can find me on Facebook again as lemon drop books and um, yeah at the podcast which is called grief is my superpower um, which is on Apple and SoundCloud and I'm sure any other places you listen to podcasts and your book um, about bereavement is available to yeah. buy from your website isn't it yeah so the magical wood is available on lemon drop books website and it's also available on Amazon you can order it in Waterstones um, and foils so yeah fantastic yeah. Mark thank you so much for being my guest I feel really honoured that you would talk so openly and share what you've been through but also talk and you know give so much helpful advice for others so thank you so much no, thank you so much for having me and giving me the space to, to share my story It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.